Welcome, everybody. Relentless Church, so, so happy to be here with you all today uh, here in the room and online. My name is Raf. For those of you who I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, associate pastor here at Relentless, super, super excited to be here with you all. Again, just to reiterate what Joyce said, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, and um, my, mine included. And uh, I, I do what God, what I was praying for, for all the relentless mothers uh, this week was just all the love and gratitude and everything that you feel today. I pray it carries over into tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the weeks that, that come. That's my prayer for, for all of you. So, um, again, thank you for being here today. This is uh, week two. We're picking up where we left off last week, a brand new series called Tempted, okay? In case you, you weren't here or you missed, that this whole series comes from Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 11. Um, it's a, a section of scripture known as the temptation of, of Jesus. All right, and so, so last week we talked about uh, this, the, this first uh, temptation experience that, that Jesus had. He's, uh, he's alone in the wilderness. He is, he's hungry. He hasn't eaten. He's fasted for 40 days and, and 40 nights. And um, Satan comes around and, and tempts him to turn some, some bread, some stones into, into bread. Why don't you, there's no reason for you to do this. Why don't you go ahead and make yourself some food? Go ahead and have something to eat. And the, and the temptation was to, for Jesus to miraculously, supernaturally provide for himself, to trust in himself to provide instead of trusting in God's pr- provision. It was, a, it was a physical temptation. Jesus fights this temptation by relying on the truth of God's word. Now, here, here, here's the bottom line. Here was the bottom line last week, but not just for last week, also today and for next week. It really, it's the heart of this series. It's going to carry us through. You cannot overcome temptation without complete dependence on God. You can't. You cannot overcome temptation without complete dependence on God. And every temptation is an opportunity to, to put your trust in Jesus. Now, we're going to keep coming back to these truths, quite, quite frankly, because Jesus kept coming back to them. Jesus came back to them over and over again every time he was tempted, and ultimately, that's how he, he overcame temp, temptation, okay, by relying, again, on the truth of God's word. Um, so, speaking of, of being tested, temptation, uh, I had a humbling experience this past week. Um, we meet uh, uh, our RC students, in case you didn't know, um, our RC students, which is our student ministry grades 6 through 12, we typically meet here in this room on Wednesday nights at 6.30. This past week, uh, we, instead, we, we had a party. We met at uh, Lake Wheeler Park. Uh, it was May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, so I thought, man, let's eat a bunch of tacos and just play games and have fun. <laughs> and so, so that's what we did. If, if, if your students went, I hope they had a blast. I want you to know I had a blast hanging out with them, okay? But one of the things we did at that party was we played, uh, we, we, we broke out into a game of football, all right? Just two-hand touch football. Now, I will say, uh, I told you, it was, I prefaced it, this was a humbling experience, okay? <laughs> Let me tell you why. I did not, um, I fully went into this thing thinking I'm just going to take it easy, right? I'm going to listen. I'm 39 years old. <laughs> I don't need to be spraining an ankle. I just want to have a little fun. I'm going to take it easy, right? So, so we're like, all right, who wants to play? If you've ever played pick up anything, basketball, football, the way it works is you get two captains, right? Usually uh, kind of evenly match people and they start picking the teams. I'll take him, I'll take her, I'll t- until everyone's gone, right? That's how it works. Um, I am, uh, I'm just going to come out and say it. I was the last pick, y'all. <laughs> I got picked last. It was probably, I don't know, 14, 16, 18, whatever. Enough people that I feel like I shouldn't have been last, okay? But I was the last pick. So, so um, again, I went into it thinking, all right, man, I'm going to take it easy. Then I was the last pick, and some of them started laughing at me, and I was like, all right, it's on now. <laughs> right now I got to prove myself. I, gotta, I got something to prove in this game of, of football now. 
I'll say, I would say, objectively speaking, I would say I held my own, okay? 39 years old, I'm not quite the athlete I used to be, okay? I know you guys can't tell, but I promise you, I'm not quite the athlete I used to be. But, right, I scored a touchdown, I threw a touchdown, I feel like I held my own. I also had some moments I'm not too proud of, okay? There was a, there was a time where I went out for a pass, and in my mind, I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fake this way and go that way, and I'll be wide open for a touchdown. And, I, and, and poor Jaden Hatcher is the quarterback, right? And he, I told him what I was going to do. And so I go out, and I go like this to fake, and again, in my mind, I'm going that way, but in reality, I just was stuck in the mud, like right there, like I didn't move at all. Jaden's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm sorry, man. My head didn't communicate with my legs and it just didn't work. I was like, what is happening to me? I was hurting, y'all. I'm telling you, that was Wednesday night. Next day, I was a little sore. Friday, I got a bet, barely could get out of bed. I couldn't walk. Right? Like, I was like, there, there hasn't been a morning since where I got the ibuprofen right by my bed. I'm like, oh man, like it's a minor miracle that I'm standing here right now. I was hurting. I was hurting from that game, but, but the, the reason I, I, I bring it up is this. Um, what is it in me <laughs> that makes me feel like, at 39 years old, I need to prove myself to a bunch of 15-year-old boys? What is that, that, that thing in me, right? Out here on this football field trying to do a bunch of things I have no business doing <laughs> in reality. It's kind of funny, and it's, it's innocent enough here in this instance, but the reality is, we all have this thing in us, right? At least on some level, this craving for approval, this craving for, for validation, the desire to impress others, to, to feel superior, to be exalted above our situation. It's something uh, the, the Apostle John refers to as the pride of life. The pride of life, he called it. I'll show it to you. First John chapter 2, verse 16. He says, for everything in the world, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Everything in the world, he's speaking, uh, 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 it seems, to all temptation in the world, he says, can fall into these three buckets, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the, the pride of life, which we're going to dig into today. And he says, they don't come from God the Father, but they come from the world. Right? These are the same three temptations that we see uh, Adam and Eve faced with, that they were faced and, and that they failed to resist in the, in the Garden of Eden, in the very beginning. Right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when they, they eat the forbidden fruit. The lust of the flesh, it's the desire to satisfy any of our, of our physical needs. Right? Eve saw that the fruit was good for food. She wanted to satisfy that physical need. The, the lust of the eyes, the things we see and want, desire to own, the things we desire to possess, to make our own. She saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye. She wanted it. The pride of life. She saw that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. The enemy kind of came up to Eve and whispered in her ear, hey, if you eat that fruit, you'll be like God. You'll know what he knows. She wanted that. Eve wanted to, to, to be like God, to become like God. We face these same temptations today, all of us, right? In fact, I would argue again that every temptation we face fits into one of these three categories. And Satan tries these same three things, these same three temptations uh, on Jesus during his 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, okay? And only the differences, the difference between Jesus and Adam and Eve was Jesus was able to resist them. How? by using the word of God as a weapon to secure his victory. 
Right? And I believe, I believe he wants to help us do the same thing. So, again, let's jump in. It's Matthew chapter 4. We'll, we'll, we'll read the first uh, four verses, which we covered last week, just quickly for a review. And then we're really going to focus in on verses 5 through 7 today. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting, 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, the temptation is for Jesus to provide for himself, right, miraculously. And, and, and he, says, he says, No, right? I need something more than food. I need, I need God. And every, every word he speaks, that's what I live on. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. The holy city here is a reference to Jerusalem. Okay, and the, the, the temple is significant because the temple courts would have been the most crowded place in all of Jerusalem. Both back then in Jesus' day, and, and it's, it's still true today, this is like the heart of the epicenter of, of Jewish culture. Okay, so, so remember Matthew uh, is writing his gospel to a Jewish audience. All right, and so they would have been very familiar with this, with this imagery, okay? This is one of the busiest, most important, most noticeable places in all of Jerusalem, and that's, that's the point. Okay, that's the point. Verse 6, if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So much going on here in this, in this one verse, okay? But first thing I want to point out is, is notice how Satan prefaces this statement, okay? Again, for the second time, he says, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. Remember, Satan knows exactly who Jesus is, okay? He, he's not confused. He's not looking for, for, for uh, proof, nor does he need confirmation. Satan knows full well that Jesus is, in fact, the son of God. But what he wants is for Jesus to start to question that. If you really are the son of God, then, then prove it. Turn these stones into bread. Jump off, jump off that building. It's so important that we learn to recognize this here today because this strategy is one of Satan's favorite ways to attack God's children. The enemy is going to attack your identity. Your identity as a son of God. Your identity as a daughter of God. That's one of his favorite ways. It's one of his most effective ways to attack God's children, okay? Why? Because if he can get you to question your identity as a son or as a daughter, then he can get you to doubt your standing and ultimately your relationship with God. He wants you to question it. That's his plan. He wants you to doubt it. If you're really the son of God, then, then why, why is this happening? If you really are a daughter of, of God, then, then why did you do that? Or why did, why did he allow this to happen to you? It's the same trick he pulled on Eve in the garden. Did God really say that? Or is he holding out on you? Why doesn't God want you to know this? Why is he keeping things from you? He wants you to question it and he'll wait until you're at your weakest point. He'll wait until you're, you're at your most vulnerable. And that's when he'll slide in and start to whisper in your ear. You can't, you can't really be a son of God. You sin too much. You can't really be a daughter of the one true king. You've got way too much baggage. He, see, he knows what you're, what you're thinking. 
He knows what you did. He knows where you've been. You're not his son. You're not, you're not saved. You're not forgiven. You're not free. Free from condemnation, free from, from, from punishment. Satan is going to attack your identity over and over and over again. He's going to try and plant seeds of doubt in your mind. He's going to say God doesn't love you. He's going to say if he did, this wouldn't be happening. You wouldn't have to experience that. You haven't changed at all. You you haven't been made new. Over and over again, this is what he's going to do. He's going to attack your identity in Jesus Christ. And I just want to make sure you're aware of that so that you can be prepared, so that you can arm yourself, so that you can be ready to fight back. That's half the battle. Understanding your identity, realizing and accepting and believing and stepping into your identity in Jesus Christ. That he, that this is the heart of the gospel, right? That Jesus really did allow, make it so that we can be in a relationship with God. That because he was perfect, we don't have to be, and now we still get to enter into a relationship with God. And he calls you son, and he calls you daughter. It's amazing what you and I can do in Jesus when we realize that we don't have anything to prove. Man, your identity is secure in him. Your victory is is in him. Your confidence is in him. We just sang that song, champion. Man, what would it mean? What would it do for your life? What would it do for your relationship? What would it do for your ability to combat temptation and the lies and and the attacks from the enemy? If if like Joy said, that wasn't just a song where we sang the words, but it became an anthem that, that, that resonated with your heart to the point that it knocks the enemy back on his feet. You're not really a son. Oh, yes, I am. And not only that, but I'm victorious. I've already won the battle. Man, there's power in that. Don't let him get you to question your identity. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down. Now, by taking Jesus to the highest place on the temple in Jerusalem and telling him to, to jump off, Satan was tempting Jesus to make himself the center of attention to have all eyes on him so that he can then jump and have God's angels come in and swoop in and save him. And everybody would see this amazing spectacle and say, wow, look at Jesus. He's so amazing. Look at him. It's an appeal to the pride of life. Satan was tempting Jesus to force God the Father into a supernatural event to prove his love for him. And in doing so, Satan was appealing to the desire within every man and woman to sense approval and to have that approval publicly demonstrated. I see it with my kids all the time, right? I can't, every day, well, when I pick them up from school, right? One's like, so I, I say, how was your day? You know, what'd you learn today? Oh, well, we did this at recess and it was so fun. Well, we did, me and my friends did this at recess and we played this. Well, I learned this, you know, well, I learned that. And then we get home and my little one's like, daddy, look at me, watch me. Like I'm doing, he's trying to do something crazy. And the other one's like, oh, I want up him. I'll stand on the couch and do it. And it's like, never ending, one up and one of each other. Look at me, look at me, right? And I can't, it's, 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 it, I'm no different than they are, right? I, I, every, every time I step on the stage to preach, I have to, like, right before I come up here, I have to sit down and say a prayer. And what I'm praying, the same prayer every time is, God, remove my pride. Remove my pride as far as the east is from the west because I know there's something in me that, that craves approval, that wants to hear 
man, that wants to wow people with, with my wisdom and my knowledge. That wants to hear, oh, you've done a great job, Raph. And if I'm not careful, if I don't fight against that, then, then, then I could come up here and make the mistake of, of, of uh, making this the Raph show. Instead of presenting the gospel, instead of lifting up Jesus, I'm trying to lift myself up, and then we're all in trouble. We all have that in us, right? Some, some might struggle with it a little more or less. Some might struggle with it in, in different ways than others. But there's something inside every human that wants to be noticed, that needs validation, that craves approval. It's the, it's the reason you keep checking Facebook to see if anyone commented on your post or liked your picture on Instagram. It's that feeling of disappointment when, when nobody noticed the, the new outfit you're wearing or the fact that you got your hair done this week. It's the desire for a pat on the back or an attaboy when you feel like you've done your job well. Listen, these aren't bad things. There is, there is nothing sinful about these desires in and of themselves, but the temptation is to make them or let them become our ultimate desire. And before we know it, we start doing things or making decisions or living life in such a way that doesn't quite line up with who God is or who he says we are in him. It's a, it's a question. What it comes down to is the motivation of your heart. So now, instead of being able to take pride in a job well done, I'm trying to do a good job so that others will look at me, see me, and be proud. It's, it's, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter if I like my new outfit or if I feel good about my appearance. It doesn't even matter that God himself says I'm made in his image. All that matters to me now is how they see me, what they think about me. And now the only way my opinions, my experiences are valuable or even worth remembering is if someone else online validates them for me. It's, 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 you see what the enemy's doing. It's just the slightest shift. It's the slightest shift but it's about the motivation of your heart. Satan wants you to question your identity in Jesus Christ and he's going to appeal to your sense of pride to do it. Why? Because Satan knows, he knows better than we do that you cannot overcome temptation without complete dependence on God. So he's gonna do whatever he can to change the subject, to change the channel, to get your focus somewhere else on something else. Do not underestimate your enemy. He is very smart. He's strategic and he will use any weapon at his disposal in order to get you to take your focus off of God, the only one who can help you. He'll, he, he will. He's going to try and plant seeds of doubt in your mind. He's going to try and convince you to put your trust in yourself. He's going to try to get you to live for the world and everything in it. And if all that doesn't work, if somehow you're able to stand firm, fight back against his attacks and defend yourself like Jesus did with the truth of God's word, then he'll even try to take that weapon and use it against you too. Look, look, look again at what he said to Jesus. Verse six, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan just threw Jesus' own words right back at him. He said, it is, it is written. And then he quoted directly from the Bible. That's a quote from Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. Satan's like, oh, you like scripture? 
I got some scripture for you. Oh, you memorized the Bible. I memorized the Bible too. You, you're relying on God's word. Here's some more of God's word. Now, there, there are some people who, who uh, argue that the devil misquoted Psalm 91 here. We don't have time to dissect all that. I don't, I don't think that's true. I don't think he misquoted it. He, he left a couple words out, but that's no different than what Jesus does when he quotes scripture time and again. And so he doesn't, he doesn't misquote it, but, but he does misapply the verse. He, 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 he takes it out of context and uses it to say, hey, okay, Jesus, go ahead, jump. And if you do, the Bible promises that God will send his angels to save you and you won't get hurt. Okay? Listen, Psalm 91 is true. But God's promise was that we could trust him completely in situations that result from obedient service to him. The enemy's suggestion is that Jesus create an artificial circumstance to test God. Again, he's very crafty. He used almost all truth and then just a little bit of a lie. Just tweaked it, just, just enough, right? But don't be deceived, 99% of a truth is still a 100% lie. Please don't miss the deceptiveness of the enemy here. He will take something as good and as true and as powerful as the word of God and manipulate it just enough to confuse and ultimately defeat those that he's tempting. So what does, how does Jesus respond to that? What does, he, what does he do? Verse seven. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus goes right back to scripture. He relies on scripture again, this time with a quote from another verse in, in Deuteronomy. Okay, it's chapter six, verse 16. If you weren't here last week, I said, uh, my, my personal opinion, I think Deuteronomy might've been Jesus's favorite book of the Bible because he goes back to it so many times. He quotes it so, so often, right? But here he is, he goes back to the, the same well, right? It's, it's, it's obviously in him. But again, this time it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, and, and here's what that verse says. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Now, this verse is another reference to, to the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness, um, and, and specifically, they tested God at a place called Massah. This is right after God provided miraculously Manna. Remember, we, we talked about this story last week. In Exodus chapter 16, God provides bread supernaturally from the sky. Every morning they would wake up and they would have food to eat, right? And he only gave them enough for, every, for, for that specific day. And the whole point was that they would learn to, uh, to, to trust in God for their provision every step of the way, right? So that's Exodus 16. Now, here we are in Exodus chapter 17. The very next thing that happens is the people are thirsty, Okay, the Israelites get thirsty and they start grumbling. They start grumbling at Moses, who's leading them. They say, Moses, what's, we're dying of thirst here. Where is, where is your God? Where is he now? Why has he forsaken us? Why won't he provide for us? They're questioning God's provision and they're questioning his presence. Again, right after he just showed up miraculously for them. Okay, so, so God tells Moses, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your staff. Go get your staff. Yeah, the one, the same one that you used uh, in, <laughs> to, to part the Red Sea when I, when I delivered you from, from Egypt. Yeah, that one. Go get that staff. I want, you to, I want you to hit it on that rock. So Moses is like, okay, gets the staff, hits it on the rock. Out comes water, just fresh water gushing out more than anyone could drink or, or ever need. He provides for them again. And they named the place Massah, which means to test. Israel at this point still did not trust God 
to provide for their basic needs, yet they demanded a miracle from God anyway. And he provided. And he provided again. So now here we are, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. This is God reminding the Israelites about what happened in the wilderness. He's telling them straight up, hey, y'all showed a lack of faith in the wilderness. Do you remember that? You tested me again and again and again, and I provided miracle after miracle after miracle. That's over now. Don't do it again. Don't test me. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. I am who I am. You know who I am. Now here's Jesus clinging to this same verse when he's tempted by Satan, misusing scripture in the desert. Jesus goes back to God's word, but unlike Satan, Jesus applies it correctly. Last week, I talked, we talked about the, the power of, of God's word. What a weapon it is that, that he makes available to us, right? But before you can effectively use it, you need to know it and trust it, right? You cannot, you cannot uh, effectively use God's word if you don't know it or trust it. That's true. I stand on that, right? But the question becomes here, what happens when your enemy knows the word just as well as you do? What do you do then? How do you, how do you respond to that? How do you know which truth to put your trust in? This is what speaks to relationship. Relationship. Again, I fully believe that the only way Jesus made it through that temptation, those 40 days and 40 nights, was, was supernatural. And I think it was because God met him in Scripture. And what I mean by that is he didn't just know it intellectually. He didn't just trust or believe that it was true, but he trusted that his father would meet him in his word and that he would experience an intimate relationship with God. And it's through that relationship, it was that that sustained him. It was through that relationship that he overcame. God doesn't just want you to follow a bunch of rules. He doesn't want you to just memorize a bunch of scripture and make all the right choices. He wants a relationship with you, a real relationship where you know him intimately and he knows you. And that's the only way you can distinguish between his word and a poser who's using his word for the wrong reasons. Jesus knew better than to try and force or manipulate God into a miraculous demonstration of his love because he had an intimate relationship with God. He knew God's heart. God knew his. He had already experienced the fullness of God's love, which enabled him to say, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This wasn't just a, a declaration for Jesus or from Jesus for himself. It was also a warning for us. It was to warn us against demanding something spectacular from God in order to prove his love or his approval for us. God has already given us the ultimate demonstration of his love. It happened on the cross. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while my back was turned to him, when I actively chose sin instead of him, when I said, I want the world and everything in it, when I made the wrong choice over and over and over again, at that moment, he saw fit to send his perfect son Jesus to the cross to die the death that I deserve, to pay the penalty for my sins. 
God has proven his love for us. He can do nothing more spectacular than that. He has nothing left to prove. He has given us everything in Jesus Christ. Amen? So, we started talking about the similarities, right? The parallels between Adam and Eve's temptation in, in Genesis chapter 3 through their experience and, and now this uh, temptation experience for Jesus here in Matthew chapter 4. And there's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of similarities, okay? And I think that's intentional. But I wanna, what I want to leave you with today is the clear distinction between the two. I, I like to think of it like this. There's, there's team Adam, right? And there's, there's team Jesus. I, I was joking around earlier about being the, being the last pick. That's just kind of how it works sometimes. I've never experienced it before, but now I know how it feels, okay? Um, you don't really, when you're playing pickup, you don't get to pick your team. You don't get to choose what team you're on. In the game of life, listen, you and I, we were born into team Adam. We were born into it. We didn't have a choice. Adam and Eve tried to face temptation on their own. They tried to fight that battle in and of themselves in their own strength, and they lost, as a result, now Team Adam fails time and again when it comes to temptation. Whether it's the lust of the flesh, physical temptation, or the lust of the eyes, the things we desire to own or possess, or the pride of life, the desire to, for approval, the desire to rise above our station and to, and to have people validate us. Team Adam goes the way of the world every single time. And each and every one of us left to our own devices, in, in and of our, ourself, in our own strength, we choose the same thing. Proverbs 16 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. There's a way that seems right in my, in, in, in my own wisdom, in my own strength, in my own ability, in my own ingenuity, in my own industriousness. There's a way that seems right to me by the way the world judges life and the, way, and the things that I see online or the things that I've experienced, there's a way that seems right, that makes sense, that is probable if I just went by what I see and, and, and what people tell me. But scripture tells me in the end it leads to death. Some of us have experienced that already. Others maybe haven't gotten to that point. And so the allure of the world, the allure of, of, of my own wisdom and being right and doing things in my own strength is super tempting because I'm winning in life. So how are you going to tell me I'm wrong? Jesus says, no, <laughs> that's, not, that's not really what it is. It's not really what it's, a, what it's about. It, it leads to death. Team Adam loses every time. She gained wisdom. Death came along with it. Here's the good news, though. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, we now get to choose. We have a, we have a choice. We get to choose which team we want to be on. And we know how the game is going to play out. So we get to choose to be on the winning team. It, that's the amazing thing. That is the power of the incredible news of the gospel. Right, the incredible news of our rescue and adoption by God through Jesus. We get to choose life. We get to choose victory. 
We get to choose Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us hold firmly. Let us grab on to the faith we profess, to the fact that that Jesus really was a man who walked the earth and lived a perfect life and then died a sinner's death so that I wouldn't have to. That, that he really did die on the cross, that he really was buried, and that he really was risen, and he rose so that we can rise again, that he is the son of God. Hold on to that. Grasp on to that. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He empathizes with us. He's felt what we felt. He's been where we've been. He understands what we're going through. He was perfect so that we wouldn't have to be. What's that mean for us? Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time in need. We get to choose Jesus. The same Jesus who who depended on God completely, who clung to God's word, who trusted in his promises and leaned into his relationship with the Father to deliver him from every temptation and ultimately from sin and death and came out victorious. Victorious. And now he offers us that same mercy that same grace, that same victory is ours in Jesus. Every temptation is an opportunity to put your trust in Jesus. Every temptation is an opportunity to put your trust in Jesus. I want to speak to those today who who, um, have made the decision to trust Jesus. I'm talking about those of you who said, I want to live for you, Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm with you, right? You would call yourself Team Jesus. I want to speak to those of you who who made that decision at some point or another in your life, but somewhere along the line, you started falling back into old habits. And I don't mean sin necessarily. I don't mean uh, the things that you used to do before you met Jesus. I mean, you started trying to trust in yourself instead of him. I mean, you started, you started relying on your own strength. You started fighting that battle on your own and putting that pressure on yourself and living for the world somewhere along the line. And you still love Jesus and you still know the word and you believe it and you would say you trust it, but you haven't been trusting him every step of the way. If that's you, man, I want to invite you today to choose Jesus again. To, to, to make the decision to get up and choose him every day, to choose him every moment if you need to. Stop trying to fight this battle in your own strength and start letting Jesus fight it for you. Stop striving for a victory that he's already won on your behalf. Start operating in the strength that only he can give you. If that's you today, I just, I want you to, I'm gonna ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. But if that's you and you would just honestly say, (laughs) I love Jesus, I chose Jesus, but 
but I don't think I've been trusting him completely. Whatever that looks like for you, but if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. Something powerful that happens when you acknowledge physically, emotionally, spiritually, what God is doing in your heart. And so if that's you again, just just raise your hand if you would say, I haven't been trusting you, Jesus, every step of the way, and I want to trust for you now, and I want to trust you now, and I'm going to pray for you. God, for all those hands that are up in the room right now, mine included, God, it's so easy, the deceptiveness of the enemy, the alert of the world, it's so easy for me to fall back into my old ways and start living for myself instead of you, or, or, or just to trust in my own strength or my own decision-making and my own wisdom instead of yours. God, I pray right now for myself, for everyone in the room with their hand up, God, that you would supernaturally, God, draw us closer to you. We want to experience you like Jesus experienced you. We want to trust you like he trusted you, Lord. God, would you impress upon us what, what, what we just read in, 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 in Hebrews chapter 4, God, that, that what Jesus accomplished for us, that what he bought for us on the cross means that we truly can come to you with confidence, that your grace is unending, that your mercy is enough. God, help us to trust you, not just with getting us into heaven one day, but with living life right now, every day. God, we want to trust you with our kids. We want to trust you with our future. We want to trust you with our finances. We want to, we want to trust you with our, with our relationships. Help us to trust you in every way. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. And there may be some of you here today or, or online who would say, if you're honest with yourselves, <laughs> I never, I've never made the decision to choose Jesus. I've never, I didn't even know I was born Team Adam. <laughs> but, but I am. If that's you today and you would like to make the choice, I want to I go from Team Adam to Team Jesus. If that's you, I want you to know you can't fight this battle on your own. It's only by the power of Jesus in you. And so again, with every eye closed, every, every head bowed, Scripture tells us man sees what's on the outside, but God sees what's on the inside. And so the reason we take this posture is to reflect on the inside and connect and see ourselves and see what God sees. And so for, for anyone online or in the room who has never made the decision to put their trust in Jesus, if that's you, and you want to make that choice today. You want to choose Jesus. You want to step into the victory that he's won for you. I just want you to go ahead and raise your hand. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who you're, you're, you're moving in their hearts today, who you've stirred up to the point where they want to put their trust in you. God, I pray this day would be the beginning of something new. That would be the start of, of a relationship, God, the, the greatest relationship that they will ever have in their lives, in you and with you, God. I pray that, that the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel, the truth of your love and your grace and mercy would just fill their hearts today to the point that they can't choose anything else but you. Father, I lift these brothers and sisters up to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Every temptation is an opportunity to put your trust in Jesus. If you made that decision just now for the first time online or again in this room, we would love to have that conversation with you. I'll be hanging around. I'm sure David uh, would be around or, or anyone else uh, to, ha- to talk to you about what that next step might be. If you prayed the prayer to recommit, to, to put your trust in him again over and over again, and you need help, please let us know. We want to help you. That's what, that's what we're here for. That's what God's church is, is about. If you're online and you made that decision, just fill out a connect card online and, uh, and, and just, just you can email us, raf at relentlesschurch.cc. You can email, email me and say, I want to put my trust in Jesus. I need to trust him in this area, whatever it is. But don't, don't leave it in the room. I tell our students this every week. Man, don't leave it in the room. If God moved, if you experience him, the, the, the worst thing you can do is step out of here and leave it here. Take it with you and, 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 and take a step into trusting him more fully, whatever that looks like for you. All right? Next week, we're wrapping this thing up. Okay, week three of Tempted, and uh, I hope to see you all again. Have a great week, and again, happy Mother's Day. We'll see you next Sunday.